0: Galatians 3, 1 through 5, and the message entitled, All Foolish Galatians. Paul has instructed the Galatians on personal understanding of the grace of God for justification of a person before God, apart from the law, by concluding his rebuke to Peter from verse 15 to 21 of chapter 2 that we did last time. We pointed out that this section is the propositional statement of the Galatians about justification before God that will be answered through various arguments as proof of that proposition. So 2, 15 through 21 is the proposition. And now chapter 3, verse 1, all the way to chapter 4, verse 11, he's going to give us the proof, the arguments. And so Paul moves on from the personal section to the doctrinal section of the epistle in chapter 3. Remember, the um, um, uh, the doctrinal always confers before the um, personal application that will come afterwards. And so let me read here our text for us. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before those before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And so here, Paul gives from his rebuke, showing the argument from their experience of being justified themselves as follows. First, verse 1 Paul rebuked them in view of having believed the gospel. He's talking to believers. Secondly, Paul rebuked them in view of having received the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 through 4. And thirdly, Paul rebuked them in view of having experienced miracles. And so, Paul begins here with the rebuke to them in view of having believed the gospel. Verse 1, notice what it says. The Galatians had not exercise spiritual discernment. All foolish Galatians, he says. The Apostle Paul here confronts them in a very strong manner. If you're a father or a mother and you've had to deal with your son or his daughter with something really foolish, you know what he is feeling at this moment. The term is a derogatory expression about the Galatians. The word foolish means senseless or not thinking. The implication is an attitude of mind and heart failing to exercise their power of perception having to do with the potential, spiritual potential. It has nothing to do with the intellect, but their spirit potential because they were born again. The term is used by Jesus of the two men on the road to Emmaus, all fools, fools and slow, hard to believe, in Luke 24, 25. Same word. The term is not racially derogatory, but for the failure to detect spiritual error. The expression is to bring them to their senses spiritually. The New English Bible translated, Oh, you stupid Galatians. J.B. Phillips' translation reads, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. They set aside the grace of God, Jesus dying needlessly, chapter 2, verse 21, By what they were saying and accepting. Paul is um, chastising his children as a loving father, full of emotions. You can, you can sense them as you read. Fear, frustration. In 4.11, 4-1, he says, I'm afraid of you, lest I have labored for you in vain. 419, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. 420, I would like to present you now and to change my mind or to be present with you and change my mind for I have doubts about you. Paul is not um, disobeying Jesus or contradicting him. This is a different word from the word raka, meaning worthless and fool or morals, meaning godless moron in Matthew 5.22. He uses a different word. In the English, we translate them about the same, but they're different. Now notice the Galatians had been a, a lord to spiritual error. He says, who has, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? The reference of Paul to who is not for information or identification. Paul knows it's the Judaizers. Paul expressed their lunacy for allowing it. You as a parent say, why would you believe that? Why would you believe him? The Apostle Paul use the common pagan belief here to communicate the deception of the Galatians. Not that it was true. The word bewitched there was a popular Greek superstition of the evil eye to fascinate or spellbound a person through the evil eye. It's even believed in today in the occults and many different things. The word appears only this one time in the New Testament and is used as to Pervert or confuse the mind. The Apostle Paul plainly accuses them of the outcome that they allowed the fascination with the law to be obeyed as truth and not to obey the truth. They allowed themselves. The word truth, Elysia, as you know, means truth in any matter under consideration, the context would dictate. This truth is synonymous with the gospel in this case, also evident by what follows Christ crucified. Paul was saying, what or who possessed you to trust in works instead of the gospel of grace? You ran well, chapter 5, verse 7 says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? I've known people who have come to this church, they've sat under our teaching and you know, grounded, faithful people. And then they get, they've taken off and all kinds of different weird stuff. They allow themselves. Notice still in one, the Galatians had been presented with the crucified Christ. Listen to his words. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. So, they I mean, he's, he's just spanking them. The manner was by illumination. Notice the phrase before whose is emphatic in the Greek, indicating the Galatians who were once blind to the truth about Jesus. The preaching of the gospel was accompanied with the light of the Spirit of God to comprehend and believe that Jesus was their Savior. As the gospel was proclaimed, preached, the Holy Spirit is giving illumination and conviction. And they responded to that. They made that choice through the illuminating work of the Spirit of God. The method was a clear presentation. The word portrayed is used in two ways. The term is used to write before. It is used for Romans 15, 4. whatever things were written. And then the term is used to portray publicly like a placard. It is used of a father who would pose the proclamation that he would no longer be responsible for his son's debts, (laughs) like a billboard down the freeway. (laughs) Very ever, you can't miss it. The majority of scholars say this indicates the public proclamation figurative, like a visible placard. Very visible. It was understandable. It was unmistakable. That's why he's so upset. The public proclamation was Jesus Christ crucified. Crucified, the word there is in the perfect passive participle with the idea of past facts with lasting effects not merely the historical fact. The context focuses on the efficiency of the sacrifice for justification. That's the whole context. He's already established that. Now he's giving the argument. The apostle was saying, if the Galatians would have beheld before their eyes Jesus having been crucified in the place they belong, they would not have been spellbound by the evil eye of the Judaizers about the law. People get enamored. This happens sometimes with Christians. that get into the Jewishness of, um, of the Christian faith and with Messianic Jews. And they go to those fellowships and they start learning all these Hebrew words and all the rituals and all the different things and they exalt themselves thinking they've got an upper hand in you. It's an amazing thing. The story has been told of a woman who um, had acquired wealth and social prominence and decided to have a book written about her genealogy. The well-known author she engaged for the assignment discovered that one of her grandfathers was a murderer who had been electrocuted and sing sing. Or when he says this would have to be included in the book, the woman pleaded that he find a way of saying it that would hide the truth. Sounds familiar. When the book appeared, the incident read as follows, quote, one of her grandfathers occupied the chair of applied electricity in one of America's well-known institutions. He was very much attached to his position and literally died in the harness. Amazing. Deception. We're to be loving confronting those who have believed the gospel but failed to exercise spiritual discernment against error, even rebuking them. We're dealing with eternity now it's just a lie this is first and foremost the responsibility of a pastor but it applies to all believers listen to what paul says in second timothy 4 2 through 5 preach the word be ready in season and, and out of season convince rebuke exhort with all long suffering and teaching For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, he's addressing Timothy as the pastor over the church, but that applies in principle to every believer. The avenues of deception to corrupt the gospel is ever-ending in the past, present, and if the Lord tarries, it'll be in the future. In our present, the secret-friendly church of Rick Warren. Thank God he's retired, but it still goes on. The emergent church movement, the progressive postmodern liberal movement that's redefining Christianity and the church and the Christians the New Apostolic Reformation. And there'll be others. But that's why we study, so we can detect the truth from the false. First Timothy 1, 3-4 says, As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may char- charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Paul tells them, tell them to be quiet. Don't allow that teaching. That's pretty bold for that day. First Timothy 6.20 says, "Oh Timothy, guard what has been committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge or science. No Christian can justify to not grow and mature spiritually. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have Their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Stop and think where you first came to the Lord, how you knew nothing. You just knew you were born again. You knew Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead. But how far have you come? How much have you learned? And not just head knowledge, but maturity and all. Very, very important. Pastor's care can be so misunderstood a faithful shepherd does not use the people for his own ends, nor does he merchandise them. This is very clear in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 12:14 through 17, Paul says, Now, for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you, not their stuff. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. that sound familiar, parents? Why? Because children are children. They're not adults. They're not mature. They haven't developed. They're not as wise as they think they are. And he says here, but be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning? Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? All these rhetorical questions, he says no. He confronts them. What a different from pastors today and Evangelists and who all they do is rip people off and they beg and they pound and pound and pound. Amazing. A faithful shepherd studies and is, as a watchman warns constantly against spiritual error. Paul in 2 Timothy two fifteen through eighteen says, "Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God." A worker. That does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like a cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrew the faith of some. They were led away, they allowed themselves to be deceived, and they were deceiving others. Now, how in the world can you say a Christian cannot be deceived when this is very clearly taught here? They were led astray, allowed themselves to be deceived, and now they are overthrowing the faith of some. Not all, some. Simple. No Christian can be bewitched or spellbound by magic incantations. Often people ask me that. But they rather allow themselves to be deceived by not having their eyes on the crucified Christ and not being grounded in the word of God. John puts it this way in, in um, 1 John 4.4. 4. You are of God, little children, and I've overcome them, meaning the Gnostics, because he who is in you is greater than he, that is in the world, the Gnostics were deceiving Christians. Paul puts it this way, first Corinthians one, seventeen through eighteen. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of, of, of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Some people look at your life and mine and say, Man, poor guys, they just have wasted their life. They're perishing. We're saved going to heaven when the Lord takes us home. We believe in both heaven and hell, they don't believe in either one. Wow. The author of Hebrews says, 12. Verse 2 through 6, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him, who endured such a hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons, my son. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son who he receives. The look at Hebrews, is just an incredible book. To those who had received Christ and now were turning back. Hebrews, who had become Christians. Like Paul, not going back. The principle is clear. First Corinthians ten twelve says, "Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall." A guarded weakness is a double strength. A trust in strength is a double weakness. <laughs> you have to be careful. Have you believed the gospel message and perhaps now you are in the process of being bewitched, fascinated by something else that's come into your life? Be careful. Paul rebuked them in view of having believed the gospel by faith. Secondly, in verse 2-4, through Paul rebuked them in view of having received the Holy Spirit. One follows the other. In verse um, 2 here, Um, The first question Paul deals with is the new birth experience of the Galatians to possess the Holy Spirit. He says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The Apostle Paul wanted them to think how it was they came to experience the possession of the Holy Spirit. Was it by works of the law? The question is rhetorical having only one and very obvious answer as well as the three that will follow. It's no to all of them. He already proved they were not justified by the law in 2.16. The law was never given to the Gentiles unless they proselyted into the Jewish faith prior to Christianity. There were God-fearers. They did not submit to circumcision. They just embraced the ceremonial law the moral law, and there were proselytes of the gate, they did submit themselves to circumcision. So there were two types of proselytes. Now the law did not promise to every believer the indwelling of the Spirit, as you know in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was given to chosen individuals for service, like Moses, Holy Ab, Joshua, kings, priests, and prophets. The Apostle Paul, notice, gave the Galatians a second choice, Or did they come to experience the possession of the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith? So by the law, here's the second one, by faith. Which one? The hearing of faith refers to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that for faith to be biblical, it must refer to God's word. If what you call faith has no relevance to the word of God, it's not biblical faith. A lot of people believe a lot of things, but it's not in the Bible, so it's not biblical faith. It's got to point me back to the revelation of God. Their hearing of the gospel by faith illuminated their hearts and minds about being sinners and the need of salvation. Their repenting obedience in faith was by the word of of God and the Spirit of God that made them born again, as they exercised their own free will. They're not robots. The Holy Spirit then dwelled in them by faith. Their bodies became the temple of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. That's what happened to you and to myself. Notice their experience of faith was superior to the old economy then, the Old Testament. Galatians 3, 24 and 25 says, But before faith came, we were kept under the guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, or schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The one who, a tutor would, would lead that child from the home to the school, make sure he wasn't getting in trouble, or none would happen, then take him home again. That's what the law was. In fact, he says in Second Corinthians three seven through sixteen, he says, but If the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, meaning the Old Testament, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly on the face of Moses because of the glory in his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, the Old Testament, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, conclusion, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away, But their minds were blinded for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. When Jesus confronted Paul in the Damascus role, that veil was lifted. Prior to that, he, he hated Christians, killed them, imprisoned them. He says, but even to this day, when Moses read, a veil lies on their hearts. There's the key. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's the heart that's the problem. Once that gets squared away with the gospel, then you can see the spiritual truth. And so notice the second question of Paul deals with the Galatians' lack of perception over the superior efficiency of the spirit to the inferior efficiency of the flesh in order to continue progressing in their faith experience. Listen to the words of verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? The Apostle Paul now addresses the Galatians as acting as fools. The term foolish. Is the same derogatory expression as in verse 1 senseless. The implication, once again, being an attitude of mind and heart failing to exercise their power of perception. But this time, it is placed in a question form, not a statement of fact. Paul is asking them Do you want to continue in this senseless, unthinking state? You know, if you ask your son, do I look like a fool? He better not say yes. (laughs) It has an obvious answer, no. And so the contrast is very obvious here. They began the spirit by faith in Christ prior to the coming of the Judaizers. Would they now attempt to finish in the flesh the natural abilities of man? If if this came about by the work of the Spirit, how can you continue in the works of the flesh or the abilities of man? It's inconsistent. This is what the Judaizers were teaching. The answer, again, is an obvious no. The word perfect, though, means maturity. Intended goal or completion, One cannot finish in the flesh what the Spirit has begun. It's a contradiction. Pastor Chuck, throughout the years, the conferences, he'd always say, he wondered if the Calvary chapels would move on to a second and third generation. Will we attempt to finish in the flesh, what God has begun in the spirit was his question always. Hmm. Very, very. Few times has that ever happened, the continuation. The nature of man is always corruption, he contaminates and corrupts the things of God. The third question comes in verse 4 of Paul dealing how the Galatians were affected by their faith. Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? The Apostle Paul declared this third rhetorical question. Have you suffered so many things in vain for nothing? The word suffer means to be affected and the context will dictate if it is good or evil, positive or negative. The word appears 42 times in the New Testament translated as suffer, suffering, and suffered. All are in the negative, but our text seems to be in the positive here. The context is being justified in the Spirit. That's the context, the positive. Many do interpret the text in the negative for suffering, yet we have no evidence of suffering, of the Galatians, only deception. So they're reading into the text what's not there. It's called eisegesis. It's not inductive Bible study. Context is very important. We do have the sufferings of Paul in Galatians in his first missionary trip, Perga, Iconium, and Lystra, but we have that in the book of Acts, 1350, 3, 19-20. Those are recorded there, not here. The Galatians weren't suffering. Paul suffered in that area. So when Paul posed the question, have the many things you have experienced in Christ, have they been in vain? I think it refers to the benefits of justification in the Holy Spirit. All these benefits. The term vain means without purpose, success or effect. Confirming the benefit, the obvious answer again is no. The Galatians had been made one with God by faith through Jesus Christ and given the Holy Spirit what the law could not do. In effect, Paul is saying, will you now turn from Christ and the benefits to the law and flesh? Once again, no. No. If it did refer to sufferings, the answer would still be no. But it doesn't. Now notice the Apostle Paul affirms that the things that had affected them were not without efficiency and personal benefit by his response. If it was in vain. Meaning it wasn't. The fact they, as Gentile sinners... Had been saved, chapter 2, verse 15. The fact that they'd been justified by faith by Jesus Christ, 216. The fact that they received the Holy Spirit in faith, 3-2. The fact that they could be perfected in the Spirit, 3-3. Great benefits. You know, telephone pole and climbing is an art. In order to climb. You have to depend wholeheartedly on that belt that you threw around the pole, and you have to lean all the way back. Kind of scary. So, this way, all the weight is against the pole, and the spikes in your shoes can make the track up or down. The natural tendency is not to depend on that belt, but to try to do it in yourself, and you end up sliding down and get a Body full of splinters. This is what happens with many people spiritually. They're not relying totally on Jesus Christ and they get caught up with this self efforts. It's the natural tendency of our sin nature. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit when they receive Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another Helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In John sixteen seven through 11, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because they, I go to my father and see you no more, uh, no more, for of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. One more in 16 of John 13 through 14 says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit never speaks of himself, never draws attention to himself. He only speaks of Jesus and points people to Jesus in the words of Jesus. So much shenanigans go on and Christian church is a time. Books are written that really are not biblical. Every believer is to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually in order to walk in the Spirit. In Acts 1:8, remember Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they be filled with power from on high. They would be witnesses to Jesus, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The empowerment for service. They were filled with the Spirit in the day of Pentecost and they spoke in various dialects. Acts 2, 4. Not tongues, dialects. It gives you all the different people from different parts of the country, the languages they spoke. Tongues is a spiritual language. Dialects are earthly languages. People teach it's tongues, it's not tongues. The Samaritans were also baptized in the Holy Spirit. The house of Cornelius and the disciples of John at Ephesus in Acts 8.17, 10.45, 19.6. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God to identify the believer as God's property and for continuous empowerment to live the life in the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, 5.18. Keep on keeping on being filled, ongoing. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit of God. And so every believer needs to recognize that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish the new life, not rituals or formalities through works of the flesh. In Romans 8, 8 and 9, Paul says, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The abilities of the flesh is sin nature. But you are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he's not his. But the Spirit doesn't work on its own. In other words, it doesn't force us. We have to depend upon him and yield to him. It doesn't happen automatically. Romans 8, 14 through 16 said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage against the fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's something to be impressed. That you say you know God, that's not really impressive. But the God, the Holy Spirit, tells you he knows you. Now that's impressive. Because anybody can say, I know God, when the Spirit of God tells you that he knows you. And you have the work of the Spirit in you. Now that's impressive. Every believer must finish by and in the spirit, not the flesh. Jesus put it this way the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak or impotent. Mark 14, 38. Paul put it this way Second Corinthians three, seventeen and eighteen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Look how far you've come since you come to know the Lord. Look how much God has accomplished in your life. Look at how much He's made you more like Him and less like you. That's always good for everybody. You first, then everybody around you. Galatians 5 17 and 18 said, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. There's warfare. And these are contrary one to the other. So that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. You're not trusting the law to give you. The, the law can, cannot give you ability to obey. The law just says that you're a lawbreaker, the law provokes you to sin. When you look at the speed limit on the freeway, it says 65. It provokes you to go 66, 67, 87. Don't touch wet paint. What do you do? You touch it. Stay off the lawn. You walk on it. The growth, development, maturity of the believer is by the word through the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4. 11 through 16, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11, many, many other scriptures. But it doesn't happen automatically, but with all diligence as we die to self and depend on the Spirit of God. We pray that God would direct and guide us. Paul again says, being confident of the very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6. It's a co-participation. God will do in me what I yield to as I seek him, as I grow and mature. Have you come to the place that you trust in your flesh or human abilities to perfect that which God alone can do? I hope not. We have witnessed many people like that in the last 44 years or so. 49 for me since I've been born again. That's a long time. There's a lot of people. So Paul rebuked them in view of having received the Holy Spirit by faith in view of what they had embraced, the law. Now notice thirdly in verse 5, Paul rebuked them in view of having experienced miracles. And so the fourth question that Paul deals with the one responsible for the Spirit and miracles. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. So the Apostle Paul comes to the concluding statement that God is the supplier of the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith. Notice Paul returns to his original question of verse 2. He who supplies the Spirit to them was Jesus and the Father. The word supplies means to supply abundantly or bountifully and is in the present participle something ongoing. The word is found five times in the New Testament. The root word means a generous expense at one's own cost. It was used of one who paid the training and performance of a chorus in those days. They flipped the bill. The term also is found in marriage documents for the husband's support for the wife. And so the Apostle Paul continues in connecting this connection with the Holy Spirit, that it is God who worked miracles among them. The word for miracle, dunamis, is the same word Jesus used for the Holy Spirit in Acts 1:8. We get a word dynamic from a dynamite. Explosive. The meaning is inherent power by virtue of its nature of the miraculous, not natural, supernatural. The miraculous defies the laws of nature by the supernatural. Jesus come. The waves, the wind, walked in the Sea of Galilee, healed people. Notice the specific is, among you, the Galatians had experienced the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in their lives first. The Galatians had experienced illumination of the gospel truth. The Galatians had experienced various gifts and miracles through Paul to the present, He's confronting them. He's holding them accountable to it. They could have called him a liar. Such was not the case. Notice the fourth question of Paul dealing with the Galatians' faith experience with miracles is now, by way of contrast, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The Apostle Paul addresses his fourth And this last rhetorical question here. Therefore, God who supplies the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? Or does he so do it by the hearing of faith? The answer is obvious once again, by the hearing of faith the entire personal experience of the Galatian was based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that has ever happened good to you since you were born again was a result of the gospel and in my life. The benefits, the blessings, the joy, the strength for difficult times, through illnesses, through family problems, whatever it may be, Things that we thought would, would never straighten up and God turns it into a blessing. The thing I fear the most come upon me, Job says. <laughs> and God used it for his glory. The entire personal experience of the Galatian was one of faith. The children of Israel experience miracle after miracle, as you know, yet they constantly turn from God, desiring to return to Egypt, the world, remembering the leeks, the melons, and the onions, but forgetting the whip and the burden. How we have seen people like that in the church through the years. They sanitize their whole life. They remember the world a lot different than it was. <laughs> wow. God's desire is to do miracles in your life and mine that can only come about as we walk in the Spirit. Listen to Paul's prayer, Ephesians 3:16 through 21. He says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened in his might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever amen that's a prayer with a blessing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4:20 20 through 24 Paul tells us but you have now so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He's talking to Christians. We still have a sin nature. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He encourages them. To trust of the Lord. So Paul commands us in Ephesians 4, 30 and 32, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender heart, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. He's talking to Christians. Those things are still going on. In the Ephesian church, he's confronting them. I mean, if if your son's not throwing windows through the window, you don't say, stop breaking my windows, right? If you say something to your son, it's because he's doing something, whatever you're talking about. Well, that's what he's mentioning. Some of you may be um, denying the miracles that God has done in your lives by taking hold of your own life and living in your own power. As the Galatians, that's no good. God gives us checks. When David stepped out on that balcony and saw Bathsheba naked, that was innocent. But it was the first check. Everything after that was no innocence, was no accident. When God checks us, we need to, okay, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Galatians four eight and nine says, But then indeed when you did not know God, you served those which were by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and bigger elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? All the feast days, the rituals and all of Judaism. Galatians 5:19 to 21 Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, listen, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, upwards of wrath, self-ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, he's talking to Christians, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that turn back and they live in this lifestyle again. He's dealing with them. Some of you may be walking by your own reason and you have all things figured out without recognizing that you are sowing to the flesh. And when you sow the flesh, you, you will reap to the flesh. And, and you will have a bumper crop and what is clean and sanitized and in control figured out from this perspective and at this point, it blow up in your face. Happens all the time. Listen to Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Romans thirteen, eleven through fourteen says, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is near than when we first believe. I am almost 50 years closer to the Lord's coming. (laughs) He says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy the old life, the sin nature. There are many things that are destroying people today. Pornography, dishonesty in business, flirting with passions with someone who's not your wife or your husband. Whatever it may be, it can start real innocent, then it gets out of control. It happens all the time. Being unequally yoked. Well, I'm just going to minister to him or to her, and then gets out of control. If you hang out with non-believers, you're probably going to marry a non-believer if you're single. I've never known anybody to marry anybody they haven't dated. (laughs) It's just the way it is. Have you experienced God's miracles in your life? But now explain them away. I hope not. I always tell my son and daughter remember what God's done. Write everything down His goodness, His grace, all that He's brought you through, those difficult times. Mark them down. Build monuments to remember God's goodness. Very, very important. Paul rebuked them in view of having experienced miracles by faith. Man, he spanked them. He's their spiritual father. He's upset. But he's upset because he loves them and he knows the cost if they embrace this deception. And so he rebukes them in view of these three things, showing their folly, arguing from their own faith experience of having been justified. Paul rebuked them in view of having believed the gospel by faith. Paul rebuked them in view of having received the Holy Spirit by faith. And Paul rebuked them in view of having experienced miracles by faith. What's his motive? Love. Not to control them but that they might abide in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for your grace, your loving goodness. We love you. We thank you for your love towards us and your goodness and your persistency to pursue us, to quicken us, to check us, to encourage us, Lord, even to chasten us. We thank you, Lord. We pray for those that are here, Lord, your hand be upon them. Lord, if someone doesn't know you, that you would speak to their heart, that they would open up and repent of their sins and call on your name, Lord. Father, they be here over the Internet. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. You might be over the Internet. If you see yourself as a sinner, that's the grace of God, the work of the Spirit. But now you have to make a decision Do you want to call on the Lord to forgive you? Jesus said, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me, I will deny you. Jesus always asks for public confession. There are no undercover Christians. It just doesn't work that way. If you want to be born again, this is a very simple prayer, your prayer to him for the forgiveness of your sins. Not to us, but to him and he'll take you at your word He'll give you a new heart, new spirit, a new mind, new marching orders, the Bible. He'll do an incredible work in you. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.